This is HSBC Global Viewpoint, your window into the thinking, trends and issues shaping global banking and markets. Join us as we hear from industry leaders and HSBC experts on the latest insights and opportunities for your business. Thank you for listening. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this HSBC Global Research LinkedIn Live. I'm Piers Butler, Head of Global Research Direct, connecting you to world-class research. This LinkedIn Live series has been focusing on HSBC Global Research's nine global themes. And today we're going to be looking at automation. And I'm very pleased that to answer your questions on this fascinating topic, I'm joined by Helen Fang and Sean McLaughlin, Heads of Industrial Research at HSBC, and Helen uh, as well wears responsibility for being our global theme coordinator on automation. So Helen, let's start off with you. Automation is actually a very broad theme. It's very interconnected. It affects the factory floor, the boardroom, consumers, logistics. What pulls it all together? Thank you, Piers. And it's really honored to, to be here. Um, well, good morning, everyone. So what I see automation is actually the same that increase the efficiency level all across different industries. It can be logistics, it can be industrials, it can be anything. It does not necessarily need to be a robot or a machine tool. So when we were looking along, say, industrial 1.0 to industrial 4.0, we started from the steam machine for industrial 1.0. This is also called automation because it increased the efficiency level of human being. And then electricity was invented. We have 2.0. With robot, we have 3.0. That's where we were now. And going forward with internet, every data is going to be uploaded to the cloud, everything interacted together with the IoT and automation. That's the ultimate goal of the automation. Uh, thanks, Helen. And and Sean, um, it's fair to say that recently uh, automation has started to impact uh, ESG issues. Now, it's a very broad subject, and I'm sure we'll get questions, more detailed questions on it. But perhaps you can give us an initial sense of that. Sure. And uh, and again, thanks for the uh, the opportunity. Great, great to be here. Um, I think with automation technologies becoming more anthropomorphic, uh, in other words, possessing human-like characteristics. I think you know it, it's become, I think, uh, more uh, urgent to look at you know the, the drawbacks as well as the benefits. I mean, the clear benefits, as Helen mentioned, you've got higher productivity, uh, increased output. You have actually more safety uh, and product quality. Um, you know, more efficient use of materials, increased competitiveness. There's all sorts of of, of advantages. On the drawbacks, though, you know, we look across the, the three uh, components of ESG, the environmental, the social and, and the governance. From an environmental side of view, actually, having a lot of uh, having a lot of machinery actually potentially uh, is more energy intensive. There are potential pollution risks uh, when powering some of that, uh, that, that, that machinery. There's also high capex on some of these automation investments. I, I'd argue as well that um, particularly on the social side is where I think there is still, you know, a public perception question mark around some automation. You, you, you hear about, for example, you know, US deaths at the hand of a, of a you know, an automated surgeon, uh, effectively um, scaring people. You, you hear a lot about, you know, Tesla autonomous pilot road accidents. These tend to get a lot of 
uh, I think, press headlines. But actually, I think there's probably a, a good uh, safety record. But it tells you that, you know, public perception around automation uh, is, I think, something that needs to be to be worked with. I, I think, you know, we see a lot of sci-fi films that make us generally quite wary about, uh, I think, some of the risks around, you know, I don't think AI today is able to necessarily be intelligent enough to take its own life form and, and you know, potentially turn against us. But, you know, since Isaac Asimov, that has been, I think, in the public, in, in, in the public's mind. So, um, more concretely, though, I think there is a question mark around unemployment on the social side. The, the definition of automation effectively is, is mechanization of, of human, human tasks. At the same time, you know, on the replacement side, there's actually a real upskilling opportunity as well. You know, that there's greater demand for skilled labor. Um, and ultimately, we, we can take things like the use of technologies such as artificial intelligence in predicting natural disasters and detecting diseases. So actually, it's improving overall quality of life. Lastly, if I may say on the governance side, uh, you know, it's down to companies investing in automation. We're seeing more and more companies now having technical member of the board that is helping to drive through, you know, these very technical decisions around investing in automation. You mentioned AI and Helen, if I could just pick up on that, uh, because in your recent report, you talked about AI and the productivity paradox. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, um, people talk about the productivity paradox more under the definition of, say, there's more innovation. However, there seems to be less growth. Um, well, there are two different um, well, implications of that one. First, it could be the AI, although it is linked to the software and etc. The application of it is still under different trials, like Sean just mentioned. We're still on a trial base, trying to use at, uh, use the AI and combination with automation at a wider application. The other thing is what people worried about with AI and automation: more jobs are going to be uh, well, given over or handed over to the robot. <laughs> well, uh, this is not necessarily uh, happening because what we have been seeing is it is just freeing people from repetitive and dangerous job, and more people got skewed up, meaning being trained to either control the machine or control the robot, and being freed away from their dangerous working environment uh, previously. And uh, Sean. Um... Automation, in fact, crosses over into a number of the other uh, HSBC global themes. Uh, I'm thinking about the future of transport and or, or, autonomous uh, uh, vehicles, future cities, uh, self-driving buses and efficiency around that. I mean, where do you see the, the, the strongest kind of crossovers? Well, I think certainly on the transport side, uh, I'd mentioned this earlier, the you know, Tesla or autonomous pilots, we're seeing autonomous driving as um, an area that's really that's really taking off that companies are, are, are investing uh, strongly into and this is based on a huge amount of information and first of all the, the amount of sensors that you need to actually be installed in on board the vehicle uh, lidar radar uh, detecting everything that's moving around it all that information ha has to effectively then be channeled and transmitted to uh, a place where it can be processed and you know in real time give the car the ability to to, to change its direction or, or, or interact 
depending on, on what's in front of it. Where, where are we seeing the most density uh, in terms of um, uh, automation? In which countries are, are leading the way relative to others? Perhaps you can give us an insight into that. Sure. Uh, for people who are not familiar with this definition, the robot density means how many robots does every 10,000 workers have on the factory floor. And that basically is an indicator for the automation level of different countries. Well, then that comes back to the growth driver for automation, which is the aging population. Uh, well, the, also the increasing labor cost and what is a contribution from your GDP growth. So if you are actually looking at U.S., U.S. is among the top five of the robot density. The reason behind that will be their very good pharmaceutical and also the automobile industry. If uh, you were looking at the aging population and increasing labor costs as a driver, it won't surprise you that you see Japan as among the top three uh, density, of the, the highest density for the robot density globally. And similarly, because South Korea has a heavy focus from their GDP towards a semiconductor, they are among top three as well. Uh, interestingly, you see China catching up really fast in terms of the automation upgrade. I think behind that will be still, you know, the increasing labor costs, the aging population, and also a non-auto, non-smartphone kind of application of robot uh, well, in China, because they were trying to combine the robot with different industries, including the spinning industry, and packing industry, food and beverages, which definitely drives the increase of the automation density in China. Uh, these robots are collecting an enormous amount of data. Yeah, uh, what, what are we doing with this data? Is it useful? Is there too much data? How do we control it? Maybe a few, a few comments on that. Well, I think this, is, um, uh, this, this, this raises some, uh, some questions, firstly around ownership. Um, and, and, and border patrol, effectively, you know, who, who owns this data? Where is it kept? Um, particularly as everything is moving to the cloud, it's clear that you know there is a very concentrated ownership of those assets in the cloud. And I think more and more companies now are, are concerned about particularly um, sensitive data uh, effectively being being located in 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 the cloud, where um, it's not necessarily clear. Who can who can see that and, and how secure that that might be? So um, certainly in, in Europe, there's a there's a project called Gaia X uh, that's trying to establish a a framework for, for around ownership of of, of data um, to really try to uh, let's say how can I say levelize equalize the the, the ownership debate and make uh, this problem and, and effectively resolve this problem. Um, Helen, um, one of the things you've written a lot about is machine vision. Firstly, just uh, maybe give us a little bit more of an understanding of what machine vision is um, and some of the progresses that have been associated with that and, and, and in, in the impact on manufacturing process and, uh, and efficiency. Yeah, sure. So machine vision is a big definition. It's very broad. Uh, basically, you can understand it as the eye of a robot or the eye of any kind of the machines. Um, well, it can be AOI application. It can be, you know, X-ray. It can be infrared. Anything that enables a machine with eyesight is called machine vision. The application will be inspection 
which is usually used in quality control, guiding, gauging, and basically enable the machine to see what's around it and cooperate with another machine or human. Uh, it is a very vast, um, well, um, I would say market. We were estimating for the market to grow to 19.2 billion US dollar by the year 2025. That implies about 8% of the five-year CAGR for the Asia market and about 6% of the CAGR globally. One question that's come up in, in some of the other LinkedIn lives is obviously the impact of uh, the pandemic, COVID-19. Uh, has, how has that impacted uh, automation in terms of, has it accelerated certain developments? Has the benefits of automation perhaps been seen in an even better light uh, in the context of the pandemic? Sean, do you want to take that one? Yes, um, I certainly I would say that uh, COVID has helped to accelerate automation. The fact that we're all, um, uh, you know, virtually linked today um, via digital networks is certainly validation that a lot of the infrastructure works. Um, the I think certainly we've seen meaningful uptick in investment. I was listening to a, a company presentation this morning um, among their industrial uh, division one of the end markets that they see has strongest demand, automation. Um, so it, it's, I think we're seeing very strong data in the market to suggest that we are seeing mean, meaningful investments uh, in, in automation um, in a number of, of, of industries. So, so, so very much, uh, yes, uh, I would say COVID has been an accelerator. Uh, we have a question on, uh, on, on drones. I mean, obviously, uh, everybody has this kind of uh, uh, vision of, uh, you know, some of their online orders being uh, delivered by drones. Drones have become much more of a feature of our lives, sometimes a bit of a nuisance. But uh, where, where do we see drones in the context of, of automation? Helen, do you want to start with, the, with that one? Yeah, sure. Um, so, in terms of the future, I would say um, there will be twofold. First, if you were looking for an investment, let's see what's inside of the drone. You will have the control system, you will have the battery, which is the, basically like the motor, and also you will have the camera, which is the sensor. Um, well, I think all along this different value chains, you have some investment opportunities, especially with the battery, because people are still debating on whose drone can fly you know, for longer and take more pictures uh, back home. So there will be a huge competition there. Most of the uh, targets for investment will be in Japan uh, and for some of the components of the listening battery you can be looking at targets in China. The other application uh, or of this topic might be you know where can drone be used uh, military is a very sensitive area, but it is one of the wide application of this. Uh, you have more and more um, stricter regulations ongoing for the drone. Uh, the more commercial one is for taking pictures. We actually had in interesting interviews with a lot of CEOs trying to do a startup of drones, you know, just uh, to do some photos. Um, for, for, for people when they are traveling or doing a family trip. So you do not need to ask a passenger um, surrounding you and say, excuse me, can you take a picture for us? So instead you can just uh, use your drone to take the picture. That is one of the commercial way of drone uh, in our point of view. Um, Sean, let's come back to this, um, this question you mentioned briefly in terms of having technical experts on the board, but are we seeing companies beginning to think hard about uh, their recruitment policies around having the right kind of 
people to uh, work with an increasing level of AI and, and, and automation? I, I think so. I mean, th 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 there's a stat that I can throw at you. I believe it's 44% of UK companies have a ha have a technical person on, on the board. So th there's there's a huge amount uh, still. So the, the majority still don't. Uh, I, I think is the conclusion from that. Um, I, I, that number certainly has been growing, and it I think indicates. You know, we we saw this a couple of years ago. Um, with digital so you, you you saw a lot of cdos being being employed so chief digital officers that were trying to you know in industrial companies trying to push through a, let's say a you know a digital makeover of let's say traditional mechanical or non-digital products um the idea that uh, you know everything is getting connected and, and you as a manufacturer need to be uh making uh, products that can that can talk to each other i think the next or the natural evolution of that really is that um, we, we see more broadly how companies, particularly manufacturing companies, are, are re-evaluating how they manufacture um, and, and what improvements automation can make. So this is going from, from the very top of the value pyramid, let's say, uh, the so-called ERP, which is enterprise resource planning. So it's, it's, a, it's effectively, it's a digital overhaul of you know everything that the company does uh, everything is uh, you know you're in contact with your suppliers you can see all your plants around the world in real-time management of, uh, of supply chain um, and it's a very powerful tool to drive productivity and again you know this this kind of overhaul typically you know requires I think board level buy-in and, and the technical presence on on that board uh, does help to uh, to push that through and uh, Helen, uh, we are beginning to see the rollout of 5G mobile networks uh, in different countries. How significant is that in the context of automation and this aspect of automation that perhaps people focus less on because they, look, they think about robots on the factory floor, but Internet of Things? Yeah, so I think we touched upon that in uh, the previous questions. The industrial 4.0 basically linked to the robot or, or any kind of the automation machinery with the internet under the sphere of the IoT so that all the data can be collected in order to do either predictive maintenance or the data analysis for other uses later. And if we were still using the 4G internet, we might be facing some technical problems and then that will be the latency issue meaning that when you are processing a huge amount of data it can drag down the whole speed of the operation so that's why you would need the 5g infrastructure as an um, well pre-investment for the ongoing iot rollout going forward and the iot combination with the automation will be exciting not just talking about the driverless car and things like that it's mostly about massive data being collected and you can massively increase the efficiency level and do the predictive maintenance going forward. Um, so we're sort of nearly running out of time but one question uh, that has come up is uh, undoubtedly automation can prove to be a significant competitive advantage. Are you seeing or do you expect to see uh, what I would call uh, a kind of leapfrog uh, advantage where, particularly in emerging markets, uh, you can jump 
certain stages of industrial development by going straight to the more automated uh, process. Um, Helen, why don't you why don't you kick off with that one? Sure. Um, that's what a lot of investors have been asking me about the market share gain, about the technology gap between some DM countries and EM countries in terms of the automation. I would say that it did exist for some of the hardware, especially the general hardware, because you have to consider what are the downstreams uh, or demand for this kind of the hardware. Is it you know just an automobile or smartphone? Then that would be really difficult for some of the EMs to catch up with the um, well, DM pioneers because most of the demand, the customers, um, well, the DM coming from the DM countries. But if they can find the localized uh, downstream demand for automation, like food and beverage, like packaging, like spinning industry, that will massively speed the adoption rate of the automation upgrade in those EM countries. And plus, the interesting thing is with hardware, once uh, you can do some general hardware, then you can, uh, you know, um, well, launch at a large volume. So the OP margin uh, is boosted and you can catch up with the DM countries very quickly. And then you entered into a vicious cycle of ASP cards, so average selling price card, etc., etc. So you see this market share uh, shift in those EM countries for hardware, but seldom do you see that for software. And I think that in automation, software at least contribute about 50% of the revenue and will only contribute more in the IoT era, so the industrial 4.0 era. So I would be thinking that for the DM industries, or for, for the DM companies in the automation industry, they have to leverage on their software, um, well, advantage to maintain uh, their growth going forward versus for the EM uh, well enterprises or companies in automation maybe they should start from hardware with a large amount of sold hardware then they can leverage on that and then talk about the software application going forward well I think we're nearly out of time and I think that was a great uh, great answer to, uh, to finish on uh, Helen and Sean thank you very much for your contributions today on it's a tough uh, subject to to do quickly because it's very broad but i think we gave people a sense of insights that we have in the sector if you have any further questions on automation any of our nine global themes or any other aspects of hsbc global research do email us at askresearch at hsbc.com so with that thank you very much for logging in and listening to us and hopefully see you for the next one many thanks thank you for listening today this has been HSBC Global Viewpoint, Banking and Markets. For more information about anything you heard in this podcast, or to learn about HSBC's global services and offerings, please visit gbm.hsbc.com.